Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information on the things we're doing here at Park Hills, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. All right, Mark 9, 30 through 50. We've got a couple things to cover out of this passage, starting in verse 38. Let me just read this, and then, Pastor Alex, I want to hear your thoughts. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who, does not, who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoa. Yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> it, it's just, it's such an interesting comment. You know, like I talked about in the sermon, uh, those who belong are those who, who bear the name well. Yeah. And here we have this situation where somebody is bearing the name well. He's casting out demons in the name of Jesus, which is just interesting. Like, where did these guys totally decide? I mean, maybe they watched the disciples or Jesus himself do sure. this. Because, uh, you know, early in the book of Mark, Jesus sends them out and says, you know, cast out demons in my name. Sure. And they do. And so maybe some people just are really impacted by that. Yeah. And they're like... Or they're following Jesus. They're just not following Jesus in the way the disciples think. Right. They're, you, they're not physically. Well, that's why I'm saying. Like, yeah. Like if the disciples spread out all over the area. Totally. Some people probably believed but didn't f- physically follow the right. disciples back to Jesus' side. And so they start doing ministry. And it's so funny because the disciples are just like, ah, you know, they weren't in our groups. We told them to knock it off. And, and they're expecting Jesus to be like, hey, good job, guys. Like way, yeah. to, way to enforce like. They can't use my my name. They can't use my brand without yep. me me getting the money for it or whatever. And right. Jesus is just like, <sighs> I don't need royalties, boys. I yeah. don't need royalties. What are we doing here? Yeah. And so what's interesting is there there's kind of this. You know, I, I brought this up in the sermon that um, it's not the path to to power in the kingdom of God or God's kingdom is not about like having the right association or connection or affiliation, right? right? Like I'm, I'm in the group. I'm a card carrying member of like this particular group or even church or even denomination. But you look at our Christian culture today. So if you just look even just under the the umbrella of evangelicals, I'm making an umbrella with my hand, but nobody can see that. So I I can see it. It's there. It's Uh, an umbrella. So, so if you think like, okay, we are going to, in this part of the conversation, exclude belief systems that while they may even call themselves Christian, some of them, you know, a lot of them don't, but even the ones that do, but do not accept salvation as by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Right. They might add works to that, or they might say, well, Jesus wasn't really God or whatever, you know, or they might say, you know, that's your truth, but our truth is all people go to heaven, for example, all those things. So exclude all those just under the umbrella of evangelicalism. We, we have a lot of denominations and groups of belief that I, w- I would sadly say sometimes don't really get along together. And we kind of, we kind of have this same attitude like, Oh, uh, you know, we're church a and church B over there. 
they're doing this. Well, we, we're not going to associate with them. In fact, I, I wish I could tell them to knock it off and not encroach on my territory. Um, you know, it, it is, it is interesting being a part of the church. Like, so we're a church, we're in Freeport, right? Yeah. If, if a very like-minded church to ours decided they were going to like plant a church in our town, like I'd ha- that's kind of mixed feelings. Cause right. I'm like, Oh, like we're in this town doing ministry. Why don't you join us? But also like, Hey, great. If you are mm-hmm. meeting needs that we're not seeing or we're not meeting. Uh, but I, I did have a, a pastor friend recently explain to me that another church planted in, in his town and it was all made up of people that were originally at his church. Mm-hmm. And then they planted a, a new church in his town and said things like, we're so glad there's finally going to be a gospel presence yeah. in this community. And he's like, what have we been doing? You know, right. But like we, like people are tribal. And in some ways, tribalism can be helpful to build bonds with people. You mm-hmm. know, as I've, I've mentioned this before in some previous sermons about, you know, the amount of podcasting I've been doing lately on like physical fitness and things like that. It's amazing how many of these physical fitness guys talk about tribal using tribalism as a way to encourage men, uh, specifically men in, in the one I was listening to, to get into physical shape. Like they say, right. they say, we don't just go out and work out. We work out together and we right. give each other silly names and we do all these things that in, encourage tribalism because together through our shared experience of, you know, mutual pain, we create this bond. Mm-hmm. And, so, so and, some, and they have man buns. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but I did. So, so, so <laughs> uh, it can be, it can be very useful, but then sometimes we see, you know, in situations like this, like with Jesus, like tribalism is actually harmful. Like they're trying to hinder the work of the gospel in other people because they're not a part of the tribe that the disciples have created. Right. Uh, does, that, does that ever frustrate you, Chris? Yeah, all the time. I mean, we both have had a number of experiences working with different denominations or different churches. We both have a longstanding, uh, you know, ministry career, so to speak, for both of us, years and years and years, where tribalism has both worked for our advantage and worked against us in some ways. Right, right. So you've you mentioned, you know, <clears throat> having been baptized in, yeah. in multiple Yeah, I've been baptized three times. Traditions. Yeah, I'll, and I'll come back to that in just a second, but, yeah. but and I love that thought. The, the thing for me is it, it, it sometimes works well when I say, yeah, I'm a part of Park Hills, be a part of Park Hills with me. At the same time, I also worked at a church across town. Right. And that's a little weird for me sometimes because there's this thing that I think people look at and go, well, you know, which side are you really on? I know that both of the churches are very similar in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of the people are the same at both of those places. A lot of them, you know, came here or some have left here and gone over there. It's it just when you really break it down apples to apples, we're all trying to follow Jesus. We might have a slight different or variation in our denominational statement, um, but for the most part, we're very similar. On, this, on the flip side, though, I grew up a part of multiple different denominations that had a wildly different view of, of a lot of things. So my family, I grew up Catholic and when I was eight, my family sort of converted to Catholicism or six, probably actually uh, we, we moved when I was eight, but so at, let's say six, cause I was in kindergarten or first grade somewhere in there. We did uh, family conversion over to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So we had to do communion. We had to do, you know, confession we had to do all these things. And one of the things we did was we all got baptized so I was baptized as a six-year-old to become a Catholic. 
What they didn't know is that when I was first born, my parents went to a Lutheran church, and so they had me baptized as an infant in a Lutheran church. So I was baptized as an infant in Lutheranism. I converted to Catholicism at the age of six and was you know, baptized into that. Then I came to Christ at the age of eight <clears throat> from a little tiny Baptist VBS, because who else does VBS yeah. but the Baptist? <clears throat> so I'm in a, a little tiny country VBS here, not too far away from here. Come to Christ at this little Baptist church, and shortly thereafter, the the pastor that I, the church I was going to, which was an evangelical, you know, non-denominational evangelical church just in the middle of the country, that is still running well today. The the pastor said, you know, if you believe Jesus now, you should get baptized, and so I got baptized again. So I've been baptized. Catholic, Lutheran, and Evangelical, I'm probably fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> triple triple dipping. Well, and the I tr- guess two of those weren't dips. And but. The, the truth is, the last dip was the only one that meant anything to me. Mm-hmm. The other two, I just was sort of doing what I was supposed to do. I didn't really think anything of it. But that's what, those are very big denominational uh, streams. Like Those are much different positions on a lot of different things. I didn't know any of that. All I was doing was just trying to do what people were telling me to do and figure it out. Now that I'm older and I look back, I go, man, I'm following Jesus. I'm all in. And now I'm able to look at some of those denominations. Even I have Catholic brothers and sisters who are running with the Lord within the confines of the Catholic church. Right. They aren't doing everything the Catholic church is telling them to do, but they love Jesus and they're running with Jesus. So this isn't as black and white as we'd like it to be sometimes. And I, I almost get that impression of what Jesus is saying here of guys, if they're for us, they're not against us. What are you doing? Like, the, You don't tell someone to stop doing things in my name just because they're not doing it the way you think they're going to do it. And that has stuck with me for a long time in ministry. So back to what you were saying a second ago, there's other denominations even in town that I will work with. There are some positions that I will not work with, right. partly because I think we've moved past the gospel being a little, uh, little less than black and white into very sketchy territory where it's blurred so far beyond what the gospel is to be that I'm going, no, I'm good. But there are certain things that some people in town might say, we don't agree with Park Hills because they do it this way. And I'd go, we're probably minoring on a minor there. Right. But if you're majoring on the majors with me, uh, let's run. Right. Yeah. And you and I are, are very much in agreement with that. And what, what I've come to, and this has been, you know, as we grow our understanding and theology shifts. It's, it's so interesting when you talk to people about their spiritual journey. Those that have grown up in church, it always starts with like, my church was like this growing up, and some people like continue in that. Some people make a move one direction or another. Mm-hmm. Um, even within evangelicalism, you know, my I've found my theology and practice has shifted much more into the center of evangelicalism right. than uh, a little bit of where I grew up. Um not that, you know, I grew up in a great church, a, a regular Baptist church, and, you know, which is it's just funny. I, I tell this joke about Baptists. Like, Baptists love to dislike something and then create their own version of it, right? Oh, totally. That's, that's why there's, like, a million different Baptist denominations and then a sure. million different, like, independent Baptist churches. Right. You know, there's, like, a 10 million independent Baptist churches, right. but how many, like, independent, uh, you know, Methodist churches are? How many sure. independent Presbyterian churches? Are? Like, <laughs> there's, like, six ever. Right, right, um, right. But you got First Baptist, Second Baptist, Southern Baptist, Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist, yeah. and Independent Baptist all on the same street because they just kept moving down the road. Right. And one's an American Baptist, one's a formerly <laughs> BGC, which is now called Converge. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, then they have their regular Baptist and your normal Baptist and your Northern Baptist and your Southern. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, where I was going with all of this is I think what has helped me with this is what I call 
theological humility to say, Mm -hmm. I believe something about one of these minors. Like, I think we should. I I was a part of a, I'm a rabbit trail here. I was a part of a denomination. I worked at an evangelical Presbyterian church for uh, a year. I did my residency there. And uh, I love the church. I love the denomination. They really poured a lot into me. I very much appreciate what they did for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Additionally, I did not as much appreciate, they were kind of the type of evangelical church where they weren't going to make a lot of decisions. Because of that evangelical humility, they would say, you know what, we could be, this is what we think, we could be wrong. And so for them, I felt like they didn't make enough decisions. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, I think... I think as individuals, we should make decisions. We should land our plane somewhere and say, you know what? I really think the Bible is here on this issue, this uh, minor issue, or it's over here, while also having the theological humility to say, you know what? But I could be wrong. And even to like put percentages to that, you know, like I'm 90% sure on this, but there's still that 10% that, you know, I could be getting this wrong. Or I'm 50% sure on this, so th- th- there's a good chance I'm not. So let's let's make this a little bit tangible here. For example, at this Evangelical Presbyterian Church, being a Presbyterian church, covenant theology, Calvinism, if mm-hmm. these words mean anything to you, uh, they were paedo-baptists, which means they baptize infants, like, right. like what you were talking about. Right. But my EPC church that I worked at, you could— most of what we did was was infant baptism, and, and I personally don't agree with that, so I wouldn't have been there long-term, but it was just a residency. Uh, but if you went to them and you said, you know what, I'm not really a pedo-baptist, I'm a credo-baptist or credo, right, the, right. the creed, that that's the idea of I uh, uh, sent to something, um, I would like to be baptized as a believer, they would do that for you. Yeah. That's good. And if, if you, so, and they would do it at the church picnic, which I was, as a credo Baptist myself, I was like, oh, we get subjected to the church picnic, <laughs> but the, but the pedo Baptist get, get the Sunday morning service. I was just being That's funny. grumpy for fun. Uh, <laughs> but if you were a credo Baptist, not a pedo Baptist, you could have your child dedicated. But if you were a pedo Baptist, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have your child dedicated. And I'm like, why? let's land on one thing. You know, we can, let's land on one branch of, of, of what we understand about this particular piece of theology. Uh, but there is, I, I think what the church did in some sense as well is to have the theological humility to say, you know what, we're pedo baptist but we realize we could be wrong. And that's one of those things where, like, you're not losing the gospel with it. Yeah. So another issue, and this is where you see, you know, a lot of Baptist churches start to get up in arms about things, is what happens at the end times? Are you premillennial or not and then even with premillennialism are you pre-trib mid-trib post-trib right uh you know i have i have a position but like one of my professors at trinity used to say it's a very weak need position like i'm like maybe 20 percent sure i'm right right there's probably more you know wrong on that than or there's more like i'm probably wrong because that's so intense and i haven't used it but then you get to other issues like non-selfish salvation issues like for example uh homosexuality right and to me when i read scripture this is not this is not an essential issue you know you are not saved or not saved based on how you read this however i'm like 99.9 percent sure that scripture is clearly teaching yeah that this is to to act on homosexual feelings is a sinful lifestyle right so yeah there's some spiritual humility to say you know what I, I could I could be wrong. I'm really, really probably sure that I'm not. Right. But I could be wrong. And so so issues like that, 
yeah, maybe I'm going to separate over, or not maybe in that yeah. particular one. Yeah, I'm going to separate over that. Um, and then maybe that's where we get a lot of denominators, you know, because that's, that's where I think, right. like, generally this conversation gets wrapped around, uh, you know, denominations are bad. Why do, we, why do we separate? Why do we act like the disciples here? But I don't know. Is there, is there a benefit to denominations? Like, is there, a re- is there a good reason, or should we just throw out all denominations? Yeah, and I don't—that's a good question. I don't think we should throw out denominations, but I do think we should be a little more weak-kneed with them, like you're talking about. <clears throat> I think the way that I like to think about it is there's enough things that humans fight over that it makes sense that we have some denominations, but we still should be seeking unity amongst those denominations. So a lot of my friends who are leading citywide ministerials and things like that, which are some of the things that I'm interested in and wanting to see happen over the next couple of years here in this area, I would I would love to blur some of the lines a little bit more for us and, and get to a spot where we're able to work with a few more folks than we do now. But that will still stay us. There's a distinctive right. that makes us us. But we also understand we may not be right about everything and we're willing to work in a certain realm. You know, using the homosexuality discussion, for example, like you just did, 99.9% is enough for me to say I'm going to plant my flag. And right. that 0.1% is such a, a weak-kneed argument that I'm right. going, I'm not going there. But I understand where people come from with talking about love and how to express love and what that looks like and whether first century homosexuality is the same as 21st century or not. That's I think that's the sticking point that I'm going Nah, I think it's a weak argument, right. but I get it. Versus, like, and, and I, that's the example you're using, versus the idea of uh, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, or or not at all. And if you're like, I don't even know what those are. It's just a, it's a view of communion, whether Christ is actually in the elements, alongside the elements, or the elements give us a special grace that we experience in some way that right. that isn't actually salvific, but there's something else there. And if you're going, I'm tired of all of this, I'm going to move on from it right now. But But I can disagree with someone on those things, as long as we're still aiming for Jesus, I can get there. Pedo baptism, credo baptism, I can, I can see the argument for both, and be okay with it. Right, and I and I think this is where I can see some value in denominations is that it helps people who have a certain collection of beliefs on yes. something to to easily identify the the place where they will be most comfortable. So, for example, totally. EPC, you know. Could I could I do my residency there? Yeah, great. Would I be comfortable serving there long time at a church that is baptizing babies? Um, I, I just I just that's not where I'm at. I'm not comfortable. I personally would not baptize a baby, so uh, it's it's helpful. Which would put you in a weird spot if yeah, someone it, asked you to do it. Yeah, yeah, it would put me in a really uh, awkward. I think would be the right word to describe that very awkward position to say, yeah, we as a church do, but I don't, and so. You know, it'd be a great conversation for sure. Uh, but that's where I can say, okay, I can associate with this church. I can do ministry alongside them. I can even work for them for a time. They can, they, and they knew, they knew where I was at. And they're like, yeah, we're willing to pour into you and disciple you. And, and um, actually the reason I went to Trinity was because one of the pastors there that I just came to respect so much was a Trinity grad. And I was like, well, I want to go where he went because mm-hmm. if, if this guy does theology the way he does. And he was an amillennial and I wasn't, you know, like, but I respected him so much. Uh, I was like, I want to go to his school. So I went to Trinity. Uh, a big portion of that was that reason. So there are, there are churches where I'm going to say, yeah, you know, on some of these lesser issues where I can't plant my flag and say, yes, 100 and or 99.9%. But then there are certainly 
churches where I'm not going to associate with them because if I'm 99.9% sure and the issue is as big as that and, you know, again, using the homosexuality discussion, that usually comes along with you can't get there unless you're losing some of your what we call the hermeneutic or the under- sure. or how we understand Scripture. So, like, oh, man, you start putting all these things together, like, yeah, I, 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 I suppose— at a point zero zero one percent, I could right. be wrong, but man, I would have to give up so much for that. You know what? Disassociation. Yep. Like that's that's not. Yep. That that is an instance to say I want to be distinct from you, so that someone from the outside looking at your church and my church would say, okay, there's a difference there. Right. And where am I at? Where do I want to worship? Mm-hmm. I can find one. So so the that's where you know the kind of the tribalism idea can be helpful. It can help identify right. places where people can go and worship and feel comfortable. Yeah, and I think that's totally it. And I think if you think about the fact that the world has 7 billion people in it now, it is a whole lot easier to find your tribe today than it would have been at the time of Christ. Yeah. In the sense of, back then you were a Christian, that was it. Now we've had enough tradition for us to mess it up and, and fight with each other about dumb things that we're fine. Basically what's happening here in this passage is Jesus' disciples are saying, no, 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 they belong to First Baptist. There's no reason why we should allow them in. And he's like, what are you doing? Stop. Right, right. And we should we should be careful to, to build bridges and do it well uh, between those distinctives that we can get, get along with if we're minoring on the minors and majoring on the majors. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, and it helps us love Jesus and love, it should help us love people who don't see things exactly the way we do, but still know and love Jesus. Um, you know, because sometimes we'll hear like, you know, at, as your discussion there, you said, oh, back then they were just Christians. And sometimes people today get really like hyped up about that. Like, why aren't we just like the early church? Like the early church didn't have denominations, wasn't getting all, well, let's be like the early church. Well, the early church was actually really like terrible. And messed up. Yeah. Like you look at Corinthians and you have like, mm-hmm. you know, people who are like having intimate relationships with their stepkids, right? Like that was... Stepmother, yeah. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, that was like First Corinthians 5 and, and Paul... And like, if that guy broke away from the church and said, Paul kicked me out, I'm going to go start Second Baptist down the street, you probably shouldn't associate with Second Baptist in the same way. Right, right. So that's where it's like, yeah, you know, we're like, let's be like the early church. The early church was just as bad as we are today because the people were just as sinful as we are today. So, you know, let's be like the church that the spirit is leading today mm-hmm. as opposed to always running to like, let's be like the church in acts. Yep. Which means it's okay that you have your tribe. Yeah. At the same time, let's be careful about what tribalism looks like and what it does. Right. Like that's the way I would wrap that piece up. Yeah, that's good. Hyperbole. Hyperbole. <laughs> A yeah. lot happens in this passage with that. And, and we're going to ramp that up over the next few weeks more so. So what do you want to say about it? Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I mentioned it a little bit, but, um, Hyperbole is, is a useful linguistic tool, right? When we speak, oftentimes we exaggerate. Oh, I can't stand that place. They never have good chicken, right? Or, you know, their chicken's always burnt or something. You know? Sure. Hyperbole is a way. So Jesus is using it here. I think sometimes we can get caught up in like, no, it says your hand causes you to sin. Cut it off. Uh, I don't see any people with, one, you know, no one in your church only has one hand. So a bunch of hypocrites there. Um hyperbole can can be a useful tool. We see Jesus use it here. We see Jesus use it other places. But, so we can't swing the pendulum so far that we're like, no, this is literal. Like, you got to go cut your hands off. And real quick, I feel like we need to say this. 
if someone in your church does not have a hand, you cannot immediately yeah. assume that this is the reason why. <laughs> you need to be very careful with how far you take this. Keep going, Alex. Yeah, yeah. No, good, good point. <laughs> so, sw- so swing the other way, though. Like, we can't just be like, ah, Jesus is just being hyperbolic. Like, you know, you don't sin. You know, no, I. There, like, he's using exaggeration because he's trying to make a point, and it's important. Yes, yes. And I would encourage you, uh, our, our friendly listeners out there. Like, really take this to heart. Is there something in your life that would hurt to lose but would make you more holy? Mm. That's that's the point. Jesus, you, know, you know, like I said in the sermon, like the, our phones, the smartphone. Like everybody's got to have a smartphone now. But if your smartphone causes you to sin, throw it out. Throw it out. I think and, and, and like, some of the people that are listening to this podcast need to be revived right now. Their yeah. their family member needs to come over and just help them out because they I, just passed out. Yeah, and I can't. I a guy that I discipled from from a, a former ministry and still contact, and he's a great guy. Had a flip phone as an adult mm-hmm. for the longest time, and I always thought it was weird. Sometimes I thought it was just being ironic, but one time I asked him, he's like, "Can't get porn on a, on a flip phone." I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. That that was if your smartphone causes you to sin, throw it out. Yeah, like, man, that's so good. So yeah, uh, don't don't lose hyperbole on either side. Don't be so literal with it that you're you're cutting your hand off, but don't be so like figurative with it that you're like, oh, it's just a, a good reminder. So no, there's a it. whole lot more going on, and I think yeah, listening to what Jesus actually says and then trying to do something with it. So at the end of that is really now, important. Yeah, yeah, at the end of that, he talks about salt. Yeah, yeah. So. If salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? And everyone's like, what in the yeah. world is he doing? Why does it matter? Can salt lose saltiness? <clears throat> I don't know. I've read some things on this. but I've read, I've had bad salt before, so I think it's possible. How do you have bad salt? It just doesn't taste salty anymore. It, I don't know how to describe it. It just tastes stale. I think somebody gave you like drywall powder. Was yeah, that's very possible. It's very possible that I was eating gypsum in a, in, in a powdery form and it, they said it was salt. I went to a salt mine one time. It was super cool in Kansas. <laughs> 650 feet underground, 99.9% pure salt. That's legit. Yeah, I brought some home. I feel like we've also moved off topic just a Sorry. little bit, and I'm trying to remember where you we were. You should go to the salt mine. It's it's in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> Is there anything good in the middle of Kansas? There's it's, a salt mine. It's Nazareth. It's like Nazareth. No, so I, I, I've heard so many sermons on this, and I wanted to talk about it briefly. You know, I've heard people say, well, we know why he talks about saltiness, because clearly salt does this and this. I've heard everybody say, you know, maybe it's because it makes everything taste better, right? Or it keeps things preserved. Or, you know, salt was what was necessary to keep the meat uh, from spoiling. So therefore, what he's saying is don't let the world spoil. And so that's why we're supposed to be salty. Okay. Uh, All of those are pretty weak illustrations. I think what he's using is a very normal thing that everybody in the ancient world used and something that we still use today. So there's a sort of timelessness to it. And part of what he's saying is stay on your toes. Do what you're supposed to do. Be what you're supposed to be. If you were not what you're supposed to be anymore, then you probably shouldn't be doing what you're doing. You should, be, you should have changed a while ago. So when I think about the salty, you know, the idea of being salty and, and being peacefully salty, it, it draws me to one of the, the most uh, you know, misunderstood passages in the, in the whole Bible, which is in Revelation when he's talking about Laodicea. And he says, you know, if you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And I've actually heard people say, be hot or be cold. Don't pick a middle. And I know I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I'm going to deal with it right now again, just in case you missed this back when we did the Revelation series. 
It is not telling you to be either hot or cold. That is the dumbest thing you could possibly think about. Jesus is not telling you either before me or completely against me. Don't be middle of the road. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about is in the city of Laodicea, they had hot springs to the north and they had cold springs to the south. And what Laodicea thought was, we should bring both of those things to us. Let's bring the hot springs in. Let's bring the cold springs in. And then we can have the best of both worlds. And what ends up happening is by the time it gets there, it's lukewarm. And part of what he's saying, this is not all of what he's saying, but part of what he's saying is be so sure of your identity in me that you are who you're supposed to be. Don't try to be something that you're not. And that's at least part of what the saltiness illustration here is, is you have been called to be the salt of the earth. That might mean preservation. That might mean make everything better. That might mean make the world a better place while you're here. But part of it also is understanding this is not your home. Your identity is in me. It's not in those things. Don't forget that your identity is supposed to be in me, which I think wraps up the denomination question really well. And even the hyperbole thing, if you start to think about it that way, you go, oh, just be completely committed to Jesus. And then I won't have to worry about what side of the fence I'm on. Right, right. There's there's a, like with the Laodicea thing, there's a usefulness to both the hot and the cold. Yes. Right. And here, like, salt has a usefulness. I, I was talking to Pastor Graham, and he was talking about the salted with fire, uh, talking mm-hmm. about the sacrificial system. I thought that was really interesting, yeah. too. I think that's maybe more of a rabbit trail than we would cover here. But, you know, is the use of salt and fire in sacrifice meaningful? And so what Jesus is, what Jesus is encouraging his listeners there is to live a life of sacrifice. I thought that, I thought that was... Interesting yeah, too. and I don't disagree with that at all. And that actually leans into some of what he's talking about in Romans 12, when Paul's talking about being a living sacrifice, right? Giving our lives up as a living sacrifice. That's part of it, is just saying, uh, no, I'm all in. I'm following you. My identity's in you. I'm going to do my thing. All right, so if you're ever in Hutchinson, Kansas, make sure you run by the Strataka Salt Mine. It's pretty cool. 650 feet underground, pure salt. <laughs> what you can't see is he's been typing for a little bit, and I was trying to figure out what he's looking for, and now we found it. You can lick the walls. 